Welcome to Ground Up, a podcast about propelling entrepreneurship in Uganda. Brought to you by UEEI, Uganda Entrepreneurial Ecosystem Initiative. I'm your host, Elton Mutize. Today, we're privileged to have a very powerful solution panel to help me dissect and unpack a very important topic, the key levers to inspire an agricultural revolution in Uganda. Let's get started. I have with me uh, Dr. Fred Muhumuza, I have Mr. Apollo Muyanja, and Professor Samuel Sejaka, really to help me uh, discuss and, and debate the topic, the key levers to inspire an agricultural revolution in Uganda. There's no doubt that uh, agriculture holds the keys for broad-based economic empowerment, and we wanted to do justice to this topic and, and, and debate and discuss and see whether there's a best path forward. Uh, gentlemen, distinguished guests, welcome. And just to break ice, uh, in turn, we will introduce ourselves, our current pursuits, uh, then, then we dive in. Uh, perhaps I can start with uh, Dr. Fred Mumuza. Welcome. It's been a while, and it's good to see you today. Thank you, Alton. Good to see you, and uh, good morning, our listeners out there. Uh, Fred Mumuza is my name, as has been mentioned. I do development policy research. Uh, for quite a lot of my work with different partners and different entities, including government. And while I'm not doing that, I also do um, teaching at the School of Economics in Makerere University and one or two other universities, Kiambogo University being among them, to just try and build more capacity so that we can clone ourselves with better clones, not even just our own bad breeds that came up from bad, eating bad food, ground up as we talked about the agricultural <laughs> issue. <laughs> we don't think we had the best food, but maybe they were the best, because they were fresh from the, the, the gardens and all sorts of things. So it's a pleasure to be part of this uh, conversation, because Uganda still remains an agricultural country. We cannot run away from that. Whether we give pictures of flyovers, we still must give those pictures of the whole, because that's what we are. Thank you so much. I've seen you doing some amazing work, and uh, you, you're still on, on, on the growth path. Thank you so much. Uh, Professor Samuel, uh, thank you so much for agreeing to, to, to come through. Uh, I've been hunting down, <laughs> hunting you down, and, and thank you for making time. Uh, just a bit about yourself uh, in terms of what, what, you, what you're currently doing and, and, and your current pursuits and quest. Thank you, Elton. Thank you. I like the bit about hunting me down. Uh, I guess you've cornered me now. Uh, listeners, my name is Samuel Sejaka. Um, originally, I trained as a certified public accountant. My journey is a bit interesting. Uh, so, yes, I am a certified public accountant, but I've spent the last 30 years in academia, uh, teaching at Macquarie University, and now at Matt Abacus Business School. Uh, at Matt Abacus Business School, we focus a lot on uh, people who are in practice, and we offer a lot of professional programs in accounting, uh, finance, uh, project management, uh, IT, and the like. And uh, apart from that, I am also involved in a number of businesses, uh, inevitably one of which is agriculture. So I have a bit of idea about uh, the challenges here. Uh, and I sit on a number of boards in the service sector, uh, including insurance, um, 
the area of uh, fast-moving goods distribution and logistics. So yes, uh, in my other life, I also do a bit of business. So I'm happy to be here. And I, can, I hope I can make a useful contribution to this podcast. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, Mr. Apollo Muyanja. Yes, Sultan. We've been on the, on the ground uh, together, uh, hoping to find solutions and uh, inspire a revolution uh, in agriculture. Our paths have crossed. And uh, just what's your current pursuit right now? Uh, what are you focused on? Wow, wow, wow. Current pursuits. Uh, I don't know how much time we have uh, today. Uh, I don't know if we have whole, the whole day, but uh, <laughs> I'll keep it brief. Uh, for now, I am uh, working with the Private Sector Foundation Uganda as a project director for a MasterCard Foundation funded project where we seek to open up uh, new work opportunities for young people uh, over the next five years, at least 300,000 new work opportunities. And uh, so the project is called uh, Young Africa Works Uganda, Enhancing Lead Farm Structure for Youth Employment. And uh, the focus is in five sectors, which includes uh, agriculture, which we cannot run away from, as uh, uh, Dr. Mohomoza said. Then the other is trade. Then we have manufacturing. We have tourism and also the construction sector. And so we expect and we plan to open up new work opportunities uh, in these five uh, sectors. When I'm not uh, busy doing this, I'm on a board for uh, one of the leading fintechs in East Africa. It's called True African. And uh, I'm also a co-founder for an uh, agribusiness uh, startup that focuses on providing uh, farmland management service support for landowners that possess large chunks of land that they are not putting to active use. It's called a Greenovate Consultancy Limited. So that's uh, more or less uh, who I am. And uh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Uh, it's, it's, it's nice. I think we've got a very good uh, uh, board here to be able to dissect this. So the key levers to inspire an agricultural revolution in Uganda um, I come from Zimbabwe and we saw amazing things happening. Um, I have lived in Uganda and when you listen to the pronouncements by the Africa Development Bank that if we do not reverse this trend, our import bill will keep going up, which means Africa is not able to feed itself uh, and Africa is not able to feed the world. Yet the arable land uh, rests here, yet we've got the, 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 the youth dividend yet we've got everything in our arsenals to be able to make this happen. And the questions that I have and the themes that we want to discuss, wh what's really happening here? And then and, and the first uh, area I want us to, to, to debate around is the issue of value chains. Uh, our coffee uh, it's, is going out there uh, in its raw form. Our cocoa is going out there in its raw form. Uh, there are many other crops that the world is seeking from us. But uh, because we're involved in primary production, because we're not adding value to some of these crops, we end up getting a very small slice of, 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 of the, the value chain or in terms of the slice of the cake or the pie. Let's speak about how we can begin or what, what the challenge is in the value chain. Why are we failing to get maximum benefit from our coffee, from our cocoa, from uh, these key products that the world is looking for? And you can see concerted efforts uh, in, in pockets uh, across the continent and even in Uganda, 
but uh, we don't see a lot of progress and forward momentum. What's, what's really happening here? We, we, we start with Dr. Fred. Do you want to break ice on this? Yeah, I think you've raised quite a number of things, and we'll get back to your coming in from Zimbabwe. What happened to Zimbabwe is agriculture. You begin to see that politics does matter. Ideology of the country does matter. Because I don't think Zimbabwe's land went away. It was redistributed. <laughs> that is also the other part of the politics. Because uh, the, the land policy is very critical when it comes to value addition. If you're going to have these split up pieces of land fragmented, I'm here growing cabbages, he's doing carrots, somebody's doing onions somewhere, another one is doing his cassava. Now, as a value-adding person, I don't have to be a farmer, but I really need serious farmers out there. Uh, if I'm going to set up a machine here, this machine is going to be asking for 100,000 tons a week. Now, that is what I gather in the whole season, and the thing just crushes it in a week. What do I do with my machine for the remaining 51 weeks of the year? So I think some things are desirable, but giving a solution to them speaks to addressing other things. Our land policies. You go to Brazil, you drive for miles and miles and miles. You are still seeing one crop. Now there you can attract somebody to put up an agro-processing facility. You come here in Uganda, we have ginger. You can drive for miles and miles and you're seeing sugarcane. But all of a sudden, there are 50 milling machines that have popped up to deal with that sugarcane. When we were growing up, there were only two, Rugazi and Kakira. And there was, that, that cane was sufficient to keep them running. There was another one in Masindi called Kinyara. We grew up, that was near my home. So we are talking about before you add value, the person adding value, is he getting the right quantities? Is he getting the right qualities? And remember, this guy has taken a loan from a bank. He's paying monthly. He needs to penetrate global markets where they need quality. So there are quite a number of things that are even not within agriculture, but they are affecting agriculture. The governance, the administration, we need to speak to that, the financing of all those issues. But also, as I end my input at this segment, is what do you want to add value? When, why do you want to add value when we know that in these cases, people are so particular about what they consume? I always argue and say, an egg, two eggs make an omelette. The two eggs will be sold at 1,000 shillings, not even there. Possibly at 800 shillings in the, in the Ugandan case. An omelette will be 10 times more than that. Now a farmer can say, oh, let me add value and do my omelette from the farm. Can you eat that omelette? <laughs> <laughs> Which is coming in from I don't know where. So some things have got to occupy our space and say, this is where I'm going to be. I am going to sell big coffee beans. But can we make sure that cake is bigger? So that even if I take a pie which is 15% degrees, it is a 15 degrees of a big circle, not 15 degrees of a pancake. So we need also to reorient our things because some things, the value adding at a very preliminary level actually chases you out of these markets. You can only sell hides and skins. Gucci knows what they do <laughs> to, to get bags out of them and sell those bags exorbitantly. If Uganda makes want to make bags, certainly you're not going to penetrate a Gucci market. But you can take over the entire Gucci supply chain. And so we have good hide here. Just tell it what you need in quantities and qualities, we'll give it to you. Then I piggyback on Gucci. So every time Gucci makes 100 million euros, 15 is Ugandan. And I don't have to go beyond my cow that I slaughter nicely, look after nicely, and sell it. But here I am with my 15 million 
euros rather than getting nothing. And so you're saying the, the, the groundwork in terms of primary production, getting the land tenure uh, organized and making sure we have huge chunks of land to produce uh, quality uh, produce and mass before yes. we even move on to before talk you about... Before move on, you haven't solved the beginning part. Your land is fragmented, your financing of the farmers, the knowledge of the farmers, the farmers have an extension staff providers... And you already want to begin to say, how do I add value and sell my coffee like Starbucks does? First, resolve your space. After all, Starbucks is not in this space. So deal with this, and they will never be. This is your monopoly space. Please monopolize this space. Do the best that you can. And we haven't solved that. We're already looking at Starbucks. I think even as they say, chicken will run around, but it must make sure you've fermented those eggs and that chicken is laying them and sitting on them, and then you can run after other chicken. I think we are taking on too many things, and that's why I picked your lessons from Zimbabwe. I think they addressed the wrong problem, and they ruined the economy. It is now 20 years down the road. Mm. I don't see them coming back soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Professor, uh, what say you on, on optimizing value chains? I know we are pro producing at a primary level, but we also have dreams to be able to move up the value chain and start adding value to some of this produce that's coming from our ground? Um, I think I'd like to start where Fred ended by first taking you back. I, I, I have a problem with agriculture. Um, and the first reason I have a problem with agriculture is I've been involved with agriculture uh, through my family, my mother is, has a passion for farming. And along the way, I realized that uh, it was more of occupational therapy. So I spent a lot of money trying to make sure that my mother has a beautiful banana garden and she raised chicken and all this stuff. But um, we're, we're, today we live in a knowledge society. So for us to really talk about an agricultural revolution, it's like we've got to go back in time um, and reset our a number of parameters so that we can have that agricultural revolution. Now, in order to have that agricultural revolution, you, you, you need to urbanize most of your population. That's the irony. Because you've got to take the people off the land so that you acquire economies of scale in your agriculture. And that is something I don't, we seem to have be what, uh, conflicted in terms of our policy pronouncements. One day you're hearing about uh, government stopping rural to urban migration. And the other day you hear about uh, government talking about four acre farms and so forth. That's not agriculture. That's really uh, a subsistence. Yep. So I think that's where our trouble starts, that we have not really understood and defined the problem of agriculture. So when you get onto the media and uh, social media and uh, government programs, you hear about uh, Yoga, you hear about uh, uh, these programs that were run a new vision about farming and so forth. And it's really keeping our people in poverty. If you want to have an agricultural revolution, you must talk about scale. Okay? So, again, in the context of being involved, I worked with the Operation Wealth Creation. 
And one of the programs we had was to increase uh, coffee production to 20 million bags. That was like 2016 when we started this activity. Uh, 20 million bags by 2020. Where are we now? I think we're at about 6 million bags. So our program didn't work as well as it should. But here we, even before you talk about value addition, we're simply saying, could we export up to 20 million bags? In their raw form. In their raw form, yep. So let's export coffee beans, 20 million bags. That would make a lot of difference. So have we gotten there? We didn't. So there are a number of things in between there. But now to speak uh, more specifically to your idea of value chain. Uh, when you're talking about value chain, there's a sense in which you talk about value chain in terms of export, okay? I really want to talk about value chain in terms of local consumption. And uh, when you talk about value chain, then you must grow the service industry. You must grow the processing industries. So the first people who are going to help you grow those industries are your local population. Do they have the purchasing power to consume the goods to which you're adding value? Okay. So even before you get to export, you need to say that you have changed the lifestyles of your people. Uh, they don't go back home. They go to a restaurant to have a meal. Uh, they will order for prepacked meals. They will buy processed foods and so forth. So that's how you create a value chain. Uh, to really think that you're going to create a value chain, which is export-oriented for me, is a secondary level. Uh, at which you get. So I guess these are difficult questions. And my, my, own, my own thoughts about them may sound a bit controversial. <laughs> I, I think really different. Uh, because then if you go back, then I'm asking, yes, you need to have an agricultural revolution. But agriculture is a low, low barrier in terms of entry. So for you, in order to get money out of agriculture, you must then change your technological capacities so that uh, you are giving the right, uh, you are in, you're giving the right inputs to your agricultural processes. I'm involved with the, one of the largest chicken farms in this country. And I tell you, if you look at the processes going on in terms of how you hatch the chick, how you feed it so that it gets to a certain weight at a certain time, uh, how, you, how you mix the feeds, the vitamins and so forth that go into feeding that chicken. There's a lot of science. So all this science is very important for us to be understood and brought into this agricultural revolution. So yes, as Fred said, there are quite a number of moving parts. And I don't know if we really grasp these moving parts, but when you grasp them and you have economies of scale, and you have people with better incomes, then you begin talking about value addition. Because then you have lifestyle changes, and you have people going to eat out, you have people yeah. buying processed packaged food, and so forth, and so forth. Then maybe you get to the other level of export. But we have had quite a number of examples, and that's when you begin to ask, why have these not worked as well yeah. as they should? We have the Soroti example for the Food factory. factory. 
we we have the Egyptians trying to export cattle. Yeah, oh boy. I don't know if they can find that cattle. Oh boy. So it goes back. Do you we have had the pineapple factory exactly, in Exactly, have a pineapple factory oh, in Masaka. Nobody so wants to talk about it. You've had all these things and we've tried all these things. So I guess we have to pause and say what worked and what is not working. So maybe I should uh, pause there for a moment. I think I'll That's add something because sure. it's raised the science on feeds. I, about uh, three weeks ago, I sat with somebody who was talking about feeding of fish. And he said, depending on the temperature of the day, the fish will decide whether they want to be nearer to the top or down at the bottom of the pond. And if it's too cold, they don't want to come to the top and suck that cold. Now that determines which feed you should give. Don't give floating feed, which is going to be at the top when the fish have decided to be down. Yeah. They'll only come up there and eat a few pellets and dash for life. Now that day you lose all your feed yeah. and it's coming to feed into your cost. But also remember your fish have not eaten. So you have had a double loss. The weight you expected at four months is not going to be there. Now the science, agriculture is a science. And you are lacking extension staff with this knowledge but also as close to the farmer to pass on that knowledge. I had a very interesting story that I was following in Germany when they said, why are you killing day old male chicks? Mm. As soon as they hatch, they kill all the male chicks. Reason, they take a week longer to mature compared to the female. You can see how they are working out the cost detail. Wow. Why it's a granular I, level. Why should I feed them for that extra week wow. and lose money? So they would rather kill them. Now, human animal rights activists went to court to say these things have a right to live, and court ruled and said the farmer has a right to live as well. <laughs> so the farmers won. <laughs> And they said, until science is able to go to the egg and discover which egg becomes a male chick, yes. which egg becomes a female chick, so that all the male eggs go to the restaurant, we eat them, yes. but don't put that burden on the farm. One week of feeding. Now here you are in Uganda, you're feeding your chicks for six months? For six months. months. And then you begin to see they're not laying even an 12 egg. Weeks, 12 weeks. So 12 agriculture weeks. is that dicey. Mm-hmm. Let's first solve that level. Before we want to put an omelette on the Chinese plate. <laughs> Let, let's hear from, from Apollo. Apollo, you, you have been uh, in many organizations and ministries that, that uh, touch this directly. Uh, talking about optimizing value chains and the, the context that Professor Sejaka has, has given and, and Dr. Muhumuza. Uh, what, what's your submission around? How can we begin to you know, press the, the, the right levers to start optimizing this, this value chain? And remember, Professor is saying, let's deal with the local consumption before we even talk about export-led uh, value chains. And I, I actually agree with both of them. Uh, it's, it's a very uh, complex uh, uh, topic that we're handling here. But I, I just want to, to shed more light on, on, on uh, the, the area of markets. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about uh, competitiveness uh, within our country. One of the things that uh, I, I and I, I uh, Professor Sejaka alluded to it. At some point, we need to put all our pens, and papers down, our laptops, and say, "Let's talk." Which which are our, our clear areas of competitiveness? Even within the coffee that we're talking about, the 20 million bags that we're chasing, mm-hmm. is it robusta? Is it arabica? What is going to cut it for us? And within that uh, subject of competitiveness, you know, Professor was talking about the land 
the, the land issue within our country, the way it's so fragmented, what is it that's cutting it for us? Is it land? Is it our, our, our labor? Is it our positioning just because we are at the smack uh, in the middle of the equator? What is it that's working for us? And which markets must we now choose to serve between now and the next two decades uh, after we figured out our area of competitiveness? So which markets are we serving? Then we get into the area that uh, Dr. Mooms was talking about, the volumes that are perennially low in whichever uh, uh, value chain you're looking at. Perhaps chicken, we have uh, tried to do a good job there. Uh, professor will tell us more about that, but uh, in uh, in many of the value chains that we are a part of, our production is uh, our productivity is so low. And I'll talk about uh, soybeans because that's a clear area of, of competitiveness for our country. We have the land to grow the soybean. We have uh, varieties, uh, high yield, uh, disease resistant varieties that have been uh, uh, worked on in our, by our research stations in the country. And best of all, the soybean value chain connects not only to people, but it also connects to animals, because we get animal feed out of that. But even in Uganda, despite all that science, uh, our productivity remains low. We are still doing maybe about 600 to, to 700 uh, kilograms per acre, where we are lucky. But see what other parts of the world are doing. They are doing close to two to two or three tons an acre. And so uh, eventually we must come back to the table and ask, how do we push gains per acre for each of our smallholder farmers? And which markets are they serving? And how sustainable are those markets? Locally, actually, I, I believe in what Professor was saying, push for these local markets because now the fishing industry it's possible that they're getting pellets uh, which have a combination of, of soybean in them. Yeah, and we're importing them from Europe. You say that. Yet the fishing industry in our country is growing. So how do we push that back to make sure that the, the whoever is involved in pelletizing is making, is manufacturing high quality uh, pellets for the fishing industry that uh, whoever is in fishing like Dr. Momsa can, can now become a market for them. Then we'll speak to see the revolution. There's but actually a guy doing well here, called it Yalero. Yes. Yalero. The fellow yes. is not even processing. So even before you talk of processing, there is a market that wants it the way it is. Yes. And you haven't satisfied that market. Yes. Now, if you put up a processor and you're going to compete with this market which wants unprocessed, yes. your processing facility is going to run short of things. This is what we're talking about, cattle. Which is what happened in, 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 in Entebbe, a number of the fish processing facilities. Yes. Nothing yes. happening. I couldn't no. compete Muhumza doesn't want processed fish. <laughs> I want to get those scales and scale them off. Yes. And if I have a million Muhumzas in this town, then the factory will get nothing. So Yalelo comes into, into Uganda, sets up an infrastructure. They're doing fish farming. I think there's also another one, Lake Harvest. Speaks to competitiveness, like Apollo was saying. The issue of of, of, of agricultural colleges or the education aspect. Do you feel that the farmers or the people involved in farming or the policymakers that are presiding over this ministry understand the value of knowledge, capital, 
on the ground. These farmers or these people out there in the rural areas where I think the concentration of farming happens, do you think we have done enough to school uh, the population around how to grow crops or how to produce? Uh, two things, just very quickly. Uh, is uh, One, you have the schools training the extension staff, and then we never deploy them. And when you deploy them, we never <laughs> facilitate them. So the schools, are, it's a value chain, even before you talk about the value chain in agriculture, what is the value chain that supports agriculture? From the training of the extension staff, from their deployment and their facilitation. Because there are certainly things that farmers will never learn, and they don't have to. Like I've driven a car for the last 25 years, there are things I don't know about the car. Yes. I don't have to. When I have a problem, I have a phone number, and I've even, I don't even know the name of the guy, yeah. I call him mechanic. Yes. <laughs> So, of course, I want to remember. Let him fix that. I want to remember. Is it Elton or what is Elton? <laughs> the guy will get on a border, come, and I get on a border and go. The next thing is calling me. Your car is ready to be picked or even deliver it. So, similarly, farmers have things they must never bother themselves with. The science involved is too heavy. It keeps changing. But can we have this upgrading of extension staff with the new knowledge and then deploy them to be available the farmer at short notice. This business of my cow is down and then I call an extension staff and say, I, I will reach you tomorrow. This is a cow we are talking about. It's down on the ground. I'm going to lose it. I've just lost some, possibly $300 of yeah. in that cow. You expect me to continue investing? So there are many things to deal with before we get into, uh, non, uh, into the value chain. But also let's contextualize the value chain. Now we are talking about global value chains. You talked about soya bean. The Chinese import soya bean worth about $800 million or billion. Dollars. But $800 million or billion dollars of soya bean, not to eat, but to convert into animal feeds, to feed their pigs and the other livestock. So can I see that global value chain and say, fine, for the Chinese, I'm not going to deliver animal feeds. Can I deliver the soya bean? Well, that is within my mandate, my space, my ability. If I can tap that $800 million worth and pick 10% of it, don't tell me to proceed feeds for the Chinese. So I think we need to understand that there are local value chains and global value chains. And for my tapping the global value chains, by doing a segment of it, maybe a low-lying fruit than trying to manage an entire value chain and then you sell finished products. Chinese will never buy your beef. But really? certainly can buy your soya bean. You see, that brings us to the whole aspect of, 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 of the whole strategic uh, direction in terms of choosing the places we're going to compete. So if we say we're going to be champions at, at growing coffee or cocoa, let's then do that or fish. Is, that, is there a concerted effort around uh, finding focus and say we're going to be really good at this because I see a lot of programs I see a lot of uh, failed programs. I see a lot of institutions yeah. around the sector that are not really pulling their weight. Okay, this is my two cents. Um, one, I think we need a reset. As yeah. a country, we need a reset. Certainly. Um, and this comes from my own experience uh, across academia and work. Uh, I mean, here I, here I am sitting on the board of a poultry uh, poultry business, and, and and the first thing 
I realize is that all the managers are expatriates. Uh, so when you speak to your agricultural colleges, I wonder why I cannot get uh, I cannot get local expertise from those colleges to run this very huge, humongous farm. So I've got Zimbabweans, I've got Kenyans, and I've got South Africans running the show. Um, so they are also talking about some training programs on the farm for people that they've recruited. So then I start by having a problem that what what do I get from the agricultural colleges? Yeah. By getting the right knowledge. Yeah. So that's possibly not managers. Now, if I go back, it's the chicken and egg thing which uh, Fred is talking about in terms of um, if I go to an agricultural college, am I going to get a job? Okay? And it appears like these people are not being absorbed into the market. So it's no longer fashionable to want to study agriculture. Um, I remember one of my uncles who was an agriculture extension worker in the 70s. And when he came out of uh, the agricultural college, uh, he walked into a car shop and he was given a car. I think that car was called a Moscovich. <laughs> and, and that was amazing. So he... He loved being an agriculture extension worker. So we've got to reset a lot of things in terms of whether when you train people, they do actually get to work in the sector and use this knowledge. But also when you get into the sector and you're really talking about the practice itself, uh, I get a problem in terms of saying, where are the people who are working in this sector? and have real knowledge. Ugandans, who, whom you can employ and you know that that business is going to run. So my own lived experience is we have expatriates yeah. running these uh, chicken farms. Which, which points to the fact that uh, the, the training that people are so, receiving. Yes. So I have a problem with the disconnect. Mm. Um, so yes, we need to have a conversation about this whole thing. Uh, then we talked about, you, you raised the issue of competitiveness. You know, maybe now, even apart from resetting these industries, we've got to reset the old knowledge because either we were taught these things and we crammed them yeah. and we thought they were the correct knowledge or not. But first of all, where, where is our competitiveness? It's just not there. Okay? Uh, or maybe we redefine competitiveness in terms of what we can slightly do a bit better. <laughs> but if you talk about maize, you will get maize. You will get maize uh, from the US to Mombasa cheaper than you can get maize from yeah. Uganda to Mombasa. Yes. Even from Actually, we, itself. One, of, one of the policies that government has put in place is don't import sugar. Okay? Why, why is that policy there not import sugar? It's because that imported sugar is cheaper. Don't import oil because that oil is cheaper, okay? But don't import rice, because that rice is cheaper. So all these policies are showing you that actually when you talk about competitive advantage, is it something you learned in school, or is it something that is real in practice? I mean, for us who are in business now, I'm taking off my academia hat and putting on my business hat. We talk about made in Brazil. 
And, and made in Brazil is real. Brazilian chicken is far much cheaper than Ugandan chicken. So how does that happen for a country which is more than uh, 6,000 kilometers away to get the chicken here much cheaper than our chicken? After and adding the shipping cost. And, 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 so exactly. and, so, and so it's Brazilian sugar. Exactly. Wow. So the whole point now goes back to saying, but did we get the right knowledge about the things we were talking about? Or do we really need to turn these things upside down so that we have the right paradigm within which we work in order to deal with these questions? I'm happy you're taking off your academic hat, but I want to bring it back because you, you, you are the architects and, 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 and the providers of that insight. Because what I see when, when, when we go on the ground, the knowledge is not there. Um, and, and, and the clusters, at least to train farmers, to, to, to organize activities around the knowledge dissemination to get that, that, that broiler chicken to market, to get that maize out there, uh, to get that chili uh, on, 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 onto, the, onto the shelf or into somebody's home. I see that they, there's, a lot of, there's a lot happening and I don't see one a concerted effort. I don't see the integrated activities across ministries. I don't see the sense of agency because we have a gap in terms of supply. We are not able to sell or provide the world what it is looking for, even locally and, 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 and even externally outside our borders. My question is, what drug are we on? That is if we're on any drug, because oh. that might also be their problem. <laughs> <laughs> Being on none. You'd rather be on some drug, and then mm. we can say, well, the drug is not effective. Yes. Then we can change. But when you're no drug, we have a bigger problem. And, and, and it's the blend, I think, between the academia and the practice. And agriculture is really designed that way. It's like a teaching hospital. Yes. People are teaching, professors are researching, but it's also a hospital. Patients are coming in and going out. Now, how do you blend your agriculture that way? Is there any agricultural institution who is in charge of the national curriculum development in this country? Do they ever have an interface? Maybe the CEO meeting of the president will get into the things. Mm. I hope it does. Mm. Because you want, you the academicians, the people developing the curriculum, to go and meet his board. To really have that candid question. What wow. is wrong with our managers? Yes. Maybe we just train them in agricultural science and not yeah. management. Yes. And that's why I have to have the, the scientists here in Uganda, but the manager would be Kenyan. The manager yes. would be Zimbabwean. How do we get that hybrid of people we are going to train? Can we understand the value chain of production itself? Yes. Before we begin to delve into the value chain of processing. Yes. First get the right crops growing, managed, supervised. And I share his pain. I'm trying to go down 200 kilometers out of town to go and check on cows. Growing up, I knew you have a herdsman. Yes. Then I realized the herdsman only chases cows of yes. people's gardens, <laughs> takes them to water and brings them back. But it's <laughs> looking after cows is more than that. Yeah, he will not increase its productivity. He, he, he will not increase. He will he, not increase the weight. The he might even wake up one morning until the acaricide is finished. <laughs> there is no salt. And I said, oh, and I need a second person to manage the other guy. Yes. But if I could get a comprehensive package of both in one, it would save my day, because even the one I got is a neighbor. Yeah. When a cow is sick, he says, "Don't tell him. He's going to blame us because the cow is sick." So I have to go back and check and say, what happened to the other cow? It died. Why didn't you tell me? We feared. You see the manager that I have, if I wish I could find a Kenyan and afford that one. 
So there are many complicated dicey things. Comparative advantage is what we teach in economics. People have said it is a bad thing. But it is not a bad thing. If that's why you have your advantage to grow soya bean, please do. Let the Chinese convert it into animals for pigs yes. and process their mutton and whatever mm. and feed their people. You focus on your space. Especially as global value chains come in. I think that's what the Japan the Brazilians have done. Yes. And now with costs of transit, logistical costs going down. Because usually what used to make Japanese uh, maize expensive and chicken was the logistical cost. Now those logistical costs have also gone down because the ships are bigger. We just saw one that blocked the Suez Canal the other day. The thing had 20,000 containers and somebody said if you put those containers on trucks, they would cover 180 kilometers. All that is moving at a go. So that cost is going to be so low that the cost of getting a chicken from Brazil to here per piece might just be half a US dollar. Mm. So we are now competing not just with ourselves but we are competing with others. So even the markets we used to thrive on South Sudan is a big market for agriculture because they don't ask for quality. Yes. Going forward they might change that and become like Kenya and say, "Hey, I saw aflatoxin here." <laughs> <laughs> they now have options to to, to, to look at yeah. So I think oh we need boy. to be thinking broader, wider, but let's use the academic knowledge. Yeah. To inform our designs. But uh, uh, doctor, I want to throw a spanner in the works here. Uh, trying to figure out is it an issue of academic knowledge because today in our country we have whatsapp groups that are driven by entrepreneurs that have a passion so for example in chicken yeah. a guy went into the chicken business and has mastered the art of breeding uh, uh, chicken and knows the numbers is actually he or she is is approaching this subject from a business perspective not from a, an academic perspective yeah. and guess what they are even charging money for these sessions that they are holding on phone and they are fake social sessions you, told, you believe so as i told you earlier yeah. passion is good yeah but the academic will tell you man looking after male chicks mm. is not a viable business okay that's the academia to make yes. that nitty gritty fine tuning before you decide where you're going to play is that what you mean? which feeds do you buy yes. which feeds do you feed i have been discussing with one of the political leaders in this country who raises chicken now we are even thinking stop giving peasants their old chicks yes give them maybe three weeks old chicks find mm -hmm. another in between you got chick hatches them let there be somebody who picks them yes. you know how we warm them you put a charcoal stove in between to warm them up now they are all going to come closer Now the ones closest to the charcoal stove are roasting. The ones far away are not getting the benefit. The ones in between are the ones getting the benefit. At the end of the day you bought a thousand chicks. By the third week you possibly have physically lost them. Yes. You may not have physically lost them, but functionally you have lost them. When they begin to lay eggs, that effect of the first three weeks is going to affect their pattern of laying eggs. That's why the academic comes in. Now the new way of warming them is put a heater up that broadcasts the heat yes. across the whole room. Now that's the role of the academia. Yes. Now, I don't believe in social media. These guys who are earning money from people are putting that science okay. behind the knowledge they are giving. Social media requires content. The content is academic. Now you, you may have person 
Yes. And the academia does not have that ability to convey their message. Yes. Now, I would want the two people on the same table. Fantastic. So I have the passion. Mm. These guys have the equipment. But they looked for content. That's why me and you are here and we are going to live. Yes. So how do you bring the two together that the guy with the passion is meeting with the guy with content and then the farmer is getting the right package. Wow. Otherwise we will lose it off like that. The chicken are there. Sejaka here gets his uh, 24 trays. Yes. You get 10 from the same same stock. Yes. And you're wondering what happened. You lost it in the first <laughs> week when your chicks failed to get the right heat or they got too much too imagine. or nothing. That content needs to come through and inform our technology. Wisdom led. Yep. So I I think let, let's let's transition uh, and and I know we can never finish this this, this topic. You said yeah. we needed the day. But <laughs> we don't have the day. The, the whole aspect now as well of saying supply chain, the little coffee we have uh, taking it out to its destination, the little cocoa we are producing, uh, your cashews, your macadamia, getting them out. It's very We, we we are also landlocked we have to take these goods all the way to Mombasa or Dar es Salaam um and I've also uh, discovered that it's more expensive to push goods to an african country than it is to push it out to a european country it speaks to the whole area of infrastructure uh how do we go about fixing the supply chain uh, at least to feed the export market the, the the little exports that we send out there it looks like there's a lot of hops people have to cross and now we're speaking africa free continental trade area is africa going to be able to be, to to trade among itself we're just speaking what's going on here because i i think one of the things that uganda and a lot of african countries are good at is to articulate the issues uh, articulate the problem but when it comes to getting things executed uh, it looks like we're failing short how do we get the supply chains or, or maybe to interrogate what is the problem are, are we failing to move our goods uh, to, to to where they are needed Um if I can start on this one uh, I I think I'm going to start with my own experience of saying um lived experience I said one day I said to myself I, I was I'm, I'm going to Ghana for a conference and uh for me to go to Ghana I had to go either to Kigali and get onto a plane or I had to go to Dubai so I chose to go to Dubai in order to go to Ghana outside Africa then yes. you come back then I had to go to Morocco I had to go to Dubai again and um that speaks to Elton the issue of interconnectivity being poor but uh I think Africa is even though we have an African Union which is a talking shop we really suffer from uh, imagined ideological differences because if if i were to look at a poor person in rwanda and a poor person in kenya and a poor person in uganda there would hardly be any significant difference between these three peasants so there's much there should be much more to unite us than to separate us but we are separated by artificial borders uh and even though this uh, after has come in place i don't see any any practical activities towards them uh, enforcing sorry making sure that it is implemented so i have a problem there so we still have to move these goods to the cost and even in moving them to the cost how are we moving them 
we have failed to use the railway. We're still using trucks. So the, 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 the what? The, you have a myriad number of uh, problems there to overcome. So yes, supply chain management is a problem and uh, we have not addressed, addressed this issue. The, when, it sound, whenever, it sounds like you, you, you're speaking from the heart. It's yeah, whatever, heart whatever, whatever, I'm, whenever <laughs> I'm trying to, whenever I'm trying to understand the issues of Africa, I then I, I kind of end up disregarding all the knowledge I've learned because I need to come up with my own explanation. Perfect. Of what is the problem, and I and I think if you ask me about African societies, the biggest problem organization African societies are so disorganized that even with even in country you don't know what the left arm is doing and what the right arm is doing and that creates a very big big problem for us to deal with you talked of the reset button yes yeah, so how do you press a reset button so that you have the country is like a body if the feet are not okay then the brain can't be but we seem to kind of muddle through. So even when you talk about agriculture, when you talk about the whole issue of value chains, when you talk about the revolution, you've got to get the whole body to work together. So if, if you use the analogy of the body, a country is a whole body. So all the bits must work together. The, the train must run on time. The extension, uh, the extension worker must be able to to help the farmer on time. Uh, the farmer must plant the right seeds. He must plant the right seeds at the right time. And there's quite there's quite a lot of things going on. I mean, I I went to I went to visit their city farms, and this is what you're talking about. The, the, these farms are in Uganda, in uh, Masindi and. Uh, between Masini and Oima. And if you go there, the harvest in a city farm is like three times the harvest on the peasant's farm for the same acreage. So you then ask these uh, Americans who came here as uh, as what? As uh, as, uh, as what? Uh, evangelists, missionaries. Mm. You, you begin to ask them, what's the difference between you and the other guys? I said, it's just the science of growing the crop. Yes. Okay, so he says that I am using a planter, and a yes. planter will plant so much more maize per acre, but I'm also using fertilizers. Yes. And that makes a lot of difference. So, Plus what seed is he planting might also yeah. be different. How yes. do you press the reset? Yeah. How do you but press? definitely uh, the supply chain plays into this. Uh, okay, so you can't say now I've gotten a lot of maize. After you've gotten a lot of maize, then you get the aflatoxin problems. Some problems, yes, are good to have, but how do you manage them? So you must constantly be thinking how to solve your problems as 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 a as a system, not for one person. So 
There it is, Alton. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a I, I see you're, you're coming from ah. a, from a deep place. It's uh, when you look at these issues, I, I can't forget PLO uh, Lumumba, professor who, who speaks with a lot of passion regarding what, what, what Africa has to deal with. But the supply chains, is it, is it a difficult challenge to solve, to be able to move our coffee cheaply or, or cost effectively to Mombasa, to Dar es Salaam? Can't we, not, can't, can't we use our waterways to start moving some of those goods? Um, what could be some of the challenges? Uh, Apollo, you, you, you sat in, 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 in the Ministry of Agriculture. What, what are some of the issues you highlighted or discovered uh, which are affecting the movement of goods uh, across borders? Or I even from the, mar from the, from the farm to, to, to the markets? I'd just like to go back to what uh, Dr. Muhumza uh, mentioned. Professor also alluded to it. One major challenge is that we are not connected. We are not talking to one another. On the one hand, you have uh, uh, investors that have invested uh, uh, a huge amount of money in post-harvest handling facilities, like a silo that can help you uh, store your maize or beans to ensure that the uh, levels of aflatoxin are managed. But nobody uh, within uh, uh, maybe government or even the ecosystem is aware of such an investment. And then we are on the other end, uh, I recall uh, a government of Uganda signed uh, a deal with uh, a company from the UK called Alvan Blanche. And the plan is, uh, and I imagine by this time the plan has already been rolled out, to set up a number of uh, storage, seed storage facilities in the country. Actually, as a country, we should be able to, uh, I can comfortably say by, by, by mid-2022, we will have upped our game in terms of uh, 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 post-harvest handling facilities, just because of that deal. And it is to the credit of uh, uh, our president for, you know, inking uh, uh, his pen on that deal. But that said, when you talk to the farmers out there, <laughs> they are not aware of where these facilities are. And guess what? It's possible that guys like Asili Farms are also struggling to put up their own uh, uh, silos. How were these silos located? Did, 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 did we take time to figure out the supply chain dynamics that doctor is talking about, connections to roads, connections to the current railway or the future railway? Did we bring guys from Ministry of Works on the same table with us as we were planning for this infrastructure? Did we bring private sector actors to ask them, guys, what are your current investment plans? What are your future investment plans that you're planning for in the next decade? Not tomorrow, not like today. No, in the next decade. What are you seeing? Guys from the embassies, what are your people seeing? Because that should inform how we build our supply chain uh, 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 support systems. Okay? And then that is how we're going to make the support systems even more efficient. But for as long as we're not connected, then we will not be able to nail it. It's not a difficult thing to do. Perhaps one other thing that's important is uh, for us within the agriculture sector to begin to understand that each one of us needs to specialize in their area where they're good at. If you're good at providing post-harvest handling uh, support, focus, stick, on that. focus on that. 
if i'm good at uh, raising my fish i will do that like yalelo pass on your fish to yalelo let yet leave yalelo to handle the market dynamics because they have stores that they have set up all over the country so stick to your area of specialization if you are a transporter let's start having a discussion about the financing that you need for you to have the best cold storage transportation facilities in our country you elton don't get into that space because guess what you're not a transporter you do what you do well let's talk about the the the, the profit margins for the transporter and for the rest of the actors within the agriculture space and life will be good now uh, uh, professor talked about the chicken uh, trade which is uh, it's 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 profitable but if you mess up with the numbers you'll be gone now at some point even for the guys in the chicken business will if they haven't already done so they will be holding discussions with other ecosystem actors to say you know what guys if we don't work together on this thing of transportation we are all dead if we don't work together on the issue of storage and transportation is road rail air if we don't work together on the issue of finance because i have my outgrowers there they are getting finance at uh, at interest rate x and it's affecting our competitiveness as a country then we're just dead we won't be able to nail it and i like the whole story of re- resetting because resetting then uh, orders our priorities to say what are we not doing right are we not talking among each other okay the decision makers you who have the power are we sitting around and de- debating interrogating issues and say what is the best it's, it looks like there's no strategic thinking and thought uh, to, to to some of these issues uh, dr mumuza what, what what perspective do you bring here yeah the, the the resetting actually the beauty with resetting is uh it's like you go to the main switch so rather than switching off individual bulbs you switch off the main switch everything goes off wow. now you come back and say which part should run first which part should run next one of the best prioritizing uh, yeah? yes mm-hmm. and, and sequencing really sequencing mm. you don't buy iron sheets before you've bought a plot it's not even a priority <laughs> it's just the sequence he's speaking to that that do this before the other mm-hmm. now one of my best uh, literature that i have read about structural adjustment program which is a macroeconomic space actually comes from the fao food and agriculture organization they want to see how prices in the market influence agricultural production and remember structural adjustment program was the tagline was getting the prices right the farmers were not producing since the global markets were not fitting to them and it's both speaking to exchange rates which no farmer gets to know or gets to see but somehow it was influencing their space so wanted to fix the exchange rate remove all these things of devaluation and let them be free get the markets right and people still blame the structural adjustment program for liberalization you're forgetting the farmers take over the coffee price global price was below 30% before liberalization after that it shot to 70% of the global price 70% was going straight to the farmer and they boosted production and nobody should forget in 1994 we got a coffee bumper harvest and we even had to put a coffee stabilization tax so these are too many dollars because now they are going to distort again the exchange rate now today we are back in that space i was just computing the figures this morning for some other assignment 45% of Uganda's exports this year 2021 2020 
was from gold alone. Forty-five percent of exports was of total gold. Exports of Uganda mm-hmm. was gold. Over two billion dollars. It was one billion last year. It has hit two billion. What is that saying? The exchange rate has so much appreciated. What was three thousand seven hundred and fifty last year is now three thousand five hundred and fifty. Yes. So you are literally losing two hundred shillings per dollar. So if you are a farmer who was exporting $10 million worth of goods last year, and you are still exporting exactly the same thing, you still have your market, you still have everything, you export another $10 million this year, you are going to lose te- 2 billion shillings wow. in the Exchange Rate Bureau. Not that because you didn't do your chicken, you didn't do your farming, you didn't, just something happened up there called Exchange Rate. <laughs> so how do you fix that for the farmer? Because a farmer losing 2 billion shillings, Prof, I will tell you what that means oh, yeah. to a factory manager. That's my entire overhead. Salaries for all the workers is lost in the exchange rate bureau. Possibly the utilities. Possibly so two billion is so much for a, a company that simply exposed ten million dollars. So we need to get back to that higher picture. What are we doing? So when I hear government saying I'm borrowing, I can borrow domestically, I can borrow abroad. You are distorting the macroeconomics. The model that was being used to sold as one by the FAO, Food and Agriculture Organization, was by two Australians in 1954. It is still relevant today. It's so a model that works, that, that works. we don't want to tinker with so much. So resetting the button, as he's saying, is going to have to reset the button, not just in the agricultural sector. It's going to be across what are we doing. And why are we borrowing and distorting the exchange rate? To build a standard gauge railway. Stupidly from where? From once uh, from Kisumu to Kampala, both are at the shore of the same lake. <laughs> <laughs> Which crazy mind builds a railway along the shore of a lake? But you sit we with have the decision up makers. We the transport is the cheapest. <laughs> yes. Once goods are at Kisumu, please put them on a ferry. Yes. Bring them to Port Bear in Kampala. Yes. So you don't need to borrow. I don't know how many billion dollars for the standard gauge. Yes. Put all that into other production activities. Don't distort your prices. So as he's saying, resetting the button, you may not even be blaming the whole as we always do. What is in your mind as policymakers? Do you see the interrelations between the different policies? Otherwise, the farmer is suffering and we are blaming him, saying mindset change. It is us who are killing that farmer. And by the way, for me, those were two positive things that we need to put into this picture. The climate is a positive thing still for Uganda. It yes. may not be all going well, but the variations are marginal. Yes. And the labor that is already committed to agriculture. Yes. I know countries struggling to get people back in agriculture. Our Ours are already sitting there. Our neighbors here at, uh, in DRC. Ours are already sitting there. Our neighbors in South Sudan. And they have refused to leave. All the attraction of that, thank God they never left. Mm. If they had left and Corona found them in the cities, what were we going to do? Yeah. But now we just said, guys, stay where you are. Let's suffer with these poor people in the cities. So the labor is already there. We need to do a little bit of land management organization coordinating them but these higher level policies are also affecting us interest rates exchange rates i think they are not speaking to agriculture so structural adjustment program is still needed i was actually on on one of one of the crit- biggest uh, critics of the e- economic structural adjustment program but now i think you you have uh, you have really corrected me it had again. positives it had negatives but the underlying economics was thorough and grounded 
The other thing that I see in the supply chain is that somebody grows, whether it's matoke or their cocoa or coffee, then a middleman comes in there and yeah. picks it up. And they gain more from the person who has been presiding over that crop for a while. And then they're the biggest benefactors because they have the capital to buy yep. and be able to export. Uh, that's one of the biggest challenges I've seen of middlemen. How do you go about you know, just destroying that middle space or can you create an exchange will that help I, i'm hearing that commodities exchanges are, are a commodity exchange might come up in uganda will that well. help it has been around warehousing receipt system, yeah, right? receipt system yeah. commodity exchange whatever they have been around but they haven't worked but, but you mentioned the very critical thing as it comes in yeah the middleman is coming with the money the farmer after i harvest i need the money to take my child back to school to treat this one yes. buy a bicycle don't tell me about a warehousing where I write a paper. That paper doesn't go anywhere. So this man is bringing money besides being a middleman. And I think we can have a market solution. Can you have more middlemen? Yeah. As I've said, the coffee price after liberalization, very many people rushed in, yes. in the space and began paying the farmer well. So there is economics as an answer, but we want to have a political and legalistic answer. The middleman is not the problem. It's the market. Yes. Let me just add something here. Um, I think the middleman is uh, very maligned. And middleman for because you are a middleman. <laughs> <laughs> you see the whole when how do you start adding value? Yes, you start adding value by getting somebody at the farm gate to take away your produce. Otherwise, you are you are now going back to destroy the concept of Adam Smith's uh, idea of specialization. <laughs> So either you specialize in farming that you cannot specialize in in distribution. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that I have observed that one, if you, if, and I can summarize a lot of my thoughts now since we're coming to the end. One, if you really want to do an agricultural revolution, you have to have big farmers. Two, those big farmers should be able to control a large part of the value addition process before you get to the farm gate. And you can see your so-called successful farmers here, the Madivanis, the Moruanas with Jessa and so forth, they manage to process their products so that they can put them on the market or put them off the market that enables you to command a higher price. But otherwise, for my mother, growing hamatoke, remember everybody has a mother, so there are a million mothers growing matoke, and they all come to the market at the same time. If, if they come to the market at the same time, their food is going to rot. Yes. Okay? So that's why we talk about value addition. So if you can't do value addition at that level, then you're better off having this for in the service industry, and you have the agricultural revolution with the large farmers. So that is very important to understand. But it is established economic uh, theory, understanding that value creation starts with having a middleman. So the value is in the marketing, the value is in the transportation. It's not just in the production itself. Yeah. So what the what the the model we had in the past which unfortunately we dismantled because we misunderstood structured adjustment and we're blaming structured adjustment today for this failure 
is we dismantled pharma groups. Yeah. We dismantled the cooperatives because the cooperatives afforded the farmer some protection. So he could command a higher portion of the price of that value chain. Now, we are rethinking these things, and I'm saying, why are you blaming structured adjustment? Structured adjustment never said dismantle cooperatives. So these are my feelings, but uh, now today where we are, we're at that level where we have a lot of jumbled, uh, jumbled thinking. So I go back to my point, you really need to have a reset. Uh, another thing that has happened to our population is the idea of freebies, mm. okay? Uh, no graduated tax, uh, fair. I don't know if you've ever heard of graduated tax and what it means. <laughs> <laughs> you must have been born after graduated tax. <laughs> I paid some. Um, I, I, I didn't. Um, free education, uh, free health care. How do you how do you provide for this? So surely something has to give, and maybe this is why now we're beginning to have these large uh, fiscal deficits. Yes, and we're beginning to have all these problems of people slipping back into poverty and so forth. Uh, somebody ultimately has to pay for the common good, for the public goods. So a lot of new thinking must come back. And some of it may actually be old thinking and saying that but actually we got it wrong by dismantling some of these structures. But anyway, that's, uh, that's how I think about these things. Thank you. So maybe new thinking brought out in a, in a different way. So I've seen uh, uh, in our world now, the, because we're living in an age of knowledge, the, the space for the middleman uh, or that space that was traditionally occupied by middleman or middlewoman, being taken over by technology. And uh, for the guys that are in the chicken business, it is very easy for them now to democratize information. He can very easily share information on their wholesale price yeah. uh, uh, from X factory price, boom. And somebody else who has an application uh, that they're putting out on the market that is connecting the supplier to the buyer gets in and is getting a lower markup as compared to what your traditional middleman was getting because they were keeping a uh, 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 professor's mother in the village away from that information. But now once you democratize that information and it's out there, it will reduce their margin. But they still have a role to pr play. So we've seen applications like uh, Famonera, uh, Easier Greek. There's, there's a number coming up within the agriculture space. It's a, it's a more refined role of the middleman, or middlewoman for that matter, but uh, that they'll, they'll still be playing a role. I don't see us eliminating them, but we can reduce their influence and ensure that the gains that they were getting are actually spread out up and down. So that hopefully the farmer gets a better deal? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I think there's that conversation. The, the farmer can be pushed beyond the farm so that they capture some additional value that is being added. But that can only happen through these organizations of farmers. Yes. That we have cooperative societies. They, they, they may have been cheated then. Yes. But that does not mean the cooperative spirit was the problem. Yes. Or the cooperative model. Because if 
the cooperative is the middleman and the farmers have a stake in the cooperative yes then the value is being kept there but the, the, the farmer has no even interest in owning a tractor all i need is tractor services but now we go down there and say form a group we give you a tractor what do farmers do with the tractor <laughs> It's not a break it down into parts. If, and if a parts. spanner gets spoiled, what do they do? <laughs> a tractor is a completely separate business. Mm. So we need to understand the dynamics and organize the actors in the value chain and see how do you allow the farmers to own. You can even tell them go and buy shares in a bank. After all, this bank banks you. So every time it is charging you interest and earning profit, at the end of the day you all go there and get your dividend. Yes. But we want to say now let's set up a farmers bank. Do you know what it means to run a bank? It's not a, it's a monster. Prof is here he has been dealing with banks. It's a monster thing. Don't give it to the farmers. But you can allow a farmers managing a bank. It's a, it's a nightmare. Now we have just said they should bring 150 billion in a space of three years. I see so many packing their bags. Yeah. the farmers one would be the first even to go away. Yeah. But we have this mentality that you allow the farmers to own a portion of the bank this is what we said global value chain yes just be a part of it let's stand big bringing their money from south africa yes they need to bring 50 million dollars let the farmers put two yes and earn that five percent of that bank so every time stand big makes its profit of a hundred billion hey man five billion is going back to the farmers who borrowed from the same bank wow. so i think we need a reset button yeah. and that's a message for for us this morning oh yeah just uh, quickly to touch on the whole issue of um, fundamental let's talk value creation quickly when when we relate it to government bottlenecks the government implementation is wanting is it because they receive an allocation of the budget can we flip this and and make ministries like maif uh, profit driven are they thinking about that what are some of the bottlenecks because like i said at the beginning the the, the issues are well articulated in terms of what the problem is how can we get the government to start moving forward in terms of execution uh, i don't know how you can do that um you see the whole maybe the whole idea of government is what we are now mis- beginning to misunderstand yeah. you see the moment you say government the the idea of profit is secondary but maybe we need to get government back to doing those things that the private sector uh, would not be interested in doing yeah okay so and i always have these arguments about public goods about, sorry about pure public goods and uh goods that have a, a public benefit and people make the wrong distinction i'll give you an example education is not a pure public good health is not a pure public good and why are these not pure public goods because uh, they can be priced and two consumption can involve uh, exclusivity okay uh, if 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 you consume resources in education that means somebody else is not consuming them so there can be exclusivity okay so why then does government come into offering education because it creates a multiplier effect it is a good thing for you to educate people because then you create a labor market but that doesn't make education a private good so to what extent should government involve 
providing education. To what extent should government involve in providing healthcare? I mean, even in the developed worlds, in the developed world, these arguments are still going on. You see, the Americans have the poorest healthcare system. And you can see what has happened with COVID. But in terms of public health, you need to vaccinate people, whether they like it or not, in order to protect the big population. But you can see that uh, there is vaccine appetite. Uh, yes. The poor people have been kept away from the vaccines. The rich countries have a lot of the vaccines. And that shows you that these are not actually pure public goods. But they are goods which have positive externalities. That when you educate the population, when you make sure they, good, they have good public health, then they become productive. But in terms of government, what you really want to say is what are those functions that the private sector will not deliver efficiently. And if the government cannot deliver those things efficiently, the government must come in. The government must build the roads you're talking about. The government must determine what level of health care it is going to provide, especially in the area of public health, and in terms of education. What contribution is it going to make? Now, beyond that, you want there to be as much thrift as possible. So you want the private sector to come in. And this is what made capitalism work. Okay. If you read uh, Yuval Hariri's Homo sapiens, you get the idea of why capitalism has become the most successful business model. Because it encourages thrift. Now, when there is thrift, then government also has to come in and regulate. Now, that's why there's a complaint about structural adjustment. Because some people say, when we were told to, to, liber to liberalize, we took out the door and the windows. But actually, the more you privatize, the more you need regulation to yes. protect your people. Yes. So we privatized <laughs> without putting in place regulation. But you can understand that there are some things where there's a Pareto efficiency. If, for instance, you're talking about public transport, and I was arguing with somebody, that actually Uganda doesn't have a public transport system. No, we don't. And this guy said, no, we have matatus. I said, those have come in to fill the space. Yeah. That's why the whole public system is chaotic. Yes. Okay, a proper public transport system works in a very, very different principle. Yes. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. So my point is, government must be involved in how they it must provide incentives for the economy to go in certain directions. And it must do certain things. The, the balance always is, or the devil is in the detail. How much should government do and what should the private sector do? Dr. Mumuza, what, what, what's your submission here as we, as we wind down? I think the role of government needs to be rethought and I really want to go back and see what does the Minister of Agriculture do in the US? I hope they even have one. Mm. <laughs> what does it do in China? Because here it puts its nose deep into issues. They think things out there that they have not thought through how they will work on the ground. We raise the point of putting silos and agro-processing facilities using, we called it CAIP, yes. community infrastructure or something. And we went and planted all these processing facilities wherever there was a piece of land. 
that they were not even speaking to the local production and communities. We are still designing industrial parks, 22 of them, from mm. the center. Yes. You are going to throw one in Tororo to do what? what? Have you spoken to the Tororo community so that the industrial park is speaking to that community? If you want to plant one in Guru, is it for Simsim? Is it for Soyabin? Is it for Kato? Mm. Even if you see it today, as he said, what is 10 years mm. from now in that area? And I was shocked to discover that we finished the National Development Plan for 2020, 2021, up to 2025. Mm. But the district development plans for the same period are not yet approved. Wow. Now remember, your National Development Plan must be interfacing yes. with what the districts plan to do. Yes. Now the districts are still on the job designing their own plans for these five years. The nation has finished. Here is a Supreme Court ruling without a high court or even a magistrate's ruling. But you already been told, go to jail for the next 15 years. And it's a Supreme Court order. So that wow. kind of disharmony of government really needs to, get needs to be fixed and get fixed. Government sits up here and thinks. But there are local governments. And 30 years ago, we decided we were going to do decentralization. Yes. Decentralization was not just about political accountability. It was also about technical. Yes processing of things. Now the center does not talk to those regions down there and plans its own things and spends its own things. And we blame the poor farmer for not pulling their weight. For not pull and when we say mindset change, we put another billion to go and change the mindset of the farmers. <laughs> the mindset is up here. We need to reset the button and right at the main switch. Wow. Don't go switching off blue and red bulbs around the house. Main switch off, let's reset the button. Apollo, what, what would you be your submission on this as we... Amazing, amazing. What, what I see and what I've heard is uh, there, there, there is an opportunity for us as a, as, a, as a country to demand for a higher level of accountability from these uh, ministries or from, from government for that matter. And I like what the uh, doctor mentioned. What exactly does the Ministry of Agriculture do in the USA? What's their role compared to to what we're doing in Uganda. How about in African nations like Botswana, where there is a thriving uh, beef industry, quite competitive. So what is the role of Minister of Agriculture there compared to us uh, here? Are we doing the right things? If they can't do regulation. Yes. They are buying vaccines for FMD. Is that your business? You see that? As a ministry? And when you can't find the vaccines, the FMD continues and all you do is quarantine. But this farmer with 5,000 heads of cattle is ready to sell 10. Yes. And buy the vaccine. Because now we are unable to vaccinate all our 15 million heads of animals. Yes. We just do four, three, and the disease continues to spread. But also like we did with polio, it bumps from Tanzania and Uganda, making it a regional effort. Yes. We are all members of this African community. This is how World Health Organization helped us to keep polio out of Uganda, which is now back. Yes. They said, don't just end where the Uganda border ends. These children interface with the other children. Yes. Go 20 miles inside Sudan, 20 miles inside the Congo. Vaccinate all of them. So FMD would be a business of Uganda. So agriculture, please talk to your minister the other side to allow us cross the border. That's where you end. But stop buying vaccines. It's a private sector business and they do a good job. They yes. don't even need your money. Guys have their cows. They will sell a few to preserve the many. But now lockdowns and lockdowns. Who would want Ugandan beef? When all I hear... FMD is all of not a Chinese, not a Briton, not a Kenyan. Not a Ugandan. Not a Ugandan. So 
Pastor, for me, there is a problem. Resetting the button. The issue of resetting, I think, uh, is, is high on the agenda. Uh, but I, I also, I, I remain hopeful that there is opportunity if we organize ourselves. And as we end, maybe as a parting shot from, from all of you, uh, just to say there is opportunity. Uh, sure. How do we, how do we, what are your t top of mind uh, uh, thoughts as we close this? My closing remark is this is an agricultural country by all definitions. We have the land, we have the rain, we have the people. It's just the software that we need to change. We are still using Windows 95, which cannot <laughs> even be loaded <laughs> on, the Apple, on the current systems. Yes. So just reset, drive off that original operating system, put on the applicable one. The hardware is available, and we can make mileage in a few years, really. Apollo, is there opportunity? There is, and the agriculture revolution in Uganda is going to take place with uh, uh, without us. So we need to find a way to get in there and uh, and and just play our part. Um, and that said, uh, uh, for uh, all different parties to now start connecting to work together is very important. Let government articulate uh, their role and make it clear what contribution they're making and provide incentives for the private sector to run the show. Interestingly, in our country, we've made it very clear in all our plans that we shall pursue a private sector-driven approach in everything that we do. So like uh, Doctor was saying, of what business is it for government to get in and start supplying vaccines for, to tackle FMD? create the incentives, create the regulation, get out of that space. Let the private sector do the thing. Let the academia come in, do their thing. And there must be a time when all of us get together, government, private sector, academia, civil society, and press that reset button and ask ourselves, are we doing the right things, the right way? Are we moving in the right direction to, to trigger this revolution? Professor Sejaga, is there opportunity? How do we move ahead? Oh yeah, I mean, um, it's it's a, it's a question of saying, are we optimistic or pessimistic? I I really want to say my glass is half full. All these questions, all these problems that we are discussing, there are opportunities waiting waiting for an entrepreneurial spirit to solve. So for me, I remain positive, uh, and the issue is once we have articulated them. Once you understand them, then how do you, how do you take advantage of them? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of headroom for us to improve. There's a lot of things we can do, and uh, I mean, having, having griped and said all these things, one must understand running an economy is not a simple task. It's like navigating a big ship. I'm, I'm always reminded of the Manchester United. Uh, a problem of moving from Ferguson to the other fellow from Everton who had been uh, piloting a small boat. So running an economy is a, a very complicated <laughs> issue. They are setting the button and bringing Ronaldo back. <laughs> so it, the, the processes take place, knowledge takes place, but one of the things we really have to work on is making sure that we do not lose institutional memory. A lot of the problems we're having is we have lost, we've been losing institutional memory about how things used to be done. So uh, we take two steps forward, then three back. But still, <laughs> we keep on climbing. And uh, 
I, I am optimistic that things will be better for future generations as we discover what ought to be done. Thank you. And on that note, I want to thank you uh, all gentlemen, Professor Samuel Sejaka, thank you so much making time off your busy schedule uh, to deliberate with us. Uh, Dr. Fred Muumuza, I, I know this is not uh, the first time, it's also not the last. We want your deliberations, we'll definitely call you in again. Uh, Mr. Apollo Moyanja, thank you so much and uh, continue to do the great work that you're doing. I think for me, I, I have a sense that, that the situation is piled high with occasion. We, we need to think and act anew. And uh, uh, we can only keep, keep positive and, and passionate uh, towards uh, the summit. So thank you so much and uh, until next time.